So we are in a series of messages um, that I began some time ago and took a break because I was gone last week. So thanks to Ted Smith for filling in for me uh, on Sunday with his sermon. I appreciated that. The uh, incarnate word, very important to understand uh, the deity of Jesus and uh, the importance of so many of these other doctrines. But we are in the series called Doctrine Matters, and it's, it's really the evidence abounds that Christians, especially in the mainline churches, but also in many evangelical and even the Roman Catholic churches, Christians are confused. They don't know what they believe. Modern relativism has taken over even believers in Jesus Christ. It seems like people collect their beliefs from here and there, kind of a a smorgasbord of religious beliefs, crafting their own unique religion, not unlike the Israelites who would worship this God and that God in addition to Yahweh, the Lord, covering all the bases, if you will, just in case their God, Yahweh, wasn't able to deliver everything that they needed from a God. To the point that God, through uh, uh, Jeremiah, says this in Jeremiah 2, verse 28, But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them come if they can save you in your time of trouble. For you have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah. So this series, Doctrine Matters, is an attempt to clarify what we believe as Christians, the historic faith of the followers of Jesus Christ. So far we've looked at the doctrine of Trinity, the foundation doctrine of the Christian faith, how we talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God known in three ways or three persons, each with all the attributes of God, none lesser or greater than the other person, co-equal and co-eternal. Then we talked about Jesus, the divine Son of God and Son of Man, human and divine, not half and half, but all in all. It was before, it was because the church knew Jesus to be divine that they developed the doctrine of Trinity in order to help uh, put it in perspective and put it in context to help explain how he could be both human and divine at the same time. And it is through the resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus, that we know him to be the divine son of God, eternally created, uh, uh, eternally creating, I should say, and eternally reigning at the right hand of God the Father. The resurrection of Jesus, we believe, actually happened in history. It isn't a myth. It isn't just a story, an allegory. We believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, never to die again. And because he wanted us to be equipped and, and, uh, and comforted, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. That was our third doctrine. God present in us and around us, working in us and through us to draw people to Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, working in the apostles and others, we have what we are looking at today in our doctrine today, the Holy Scriptures. All of the doctrines that we've been talking about are important. They're critical even, essential. But none has more far-reaching implications than today's doctrine, the doctrine of Scripture. The doctrine of Scripture will determine whether or not any of the other doctrines of the Christian faith are adhered to or abandoned. To paraphrase a line from the movie Mary Poppins, remember this from Mr. Dawes, the chairman of Fidelity Fiduciary Trust, 
when he said something like this, while stands the Bible, Christianity stands. When falls the Bible, and then he falls over backwards, Christianity falls. And that's true. The Bible is what Christianity stands on. And if the Bible falls, then Christianity falls. And by that, I don't mean the physical Bible, not, not the physical book, because even the most progressive Christian has, has a Bible and reads the Bible. But they interpret the Bible in ways that turn around the things that it says, even turn it upside down, making it say what it doesn't say and even making it say the opposite of what it says. I mean that Christianity stands or falls by how it submits to the authority of Scripture, whether it places itself over the Bible, in judgment of the Bible, critically of the Bible, or whether it places the church places itself under the Bible's authority. That's the key. That's the difference. There is a meme circulating this week on social media that says this, the church does not determine what the Bible teaches. It is the Bible that determines what the church must teach. And that pretty much says it all. Methodists and Wesleyans have always honored the Bible and placed themselves under its authority. John Wesley himself called himself a Bible bigot because the Bible was the foremost authority in his life, which means he submitted himself to the authority of the Bible. He was famous for saying and writing things like this, all faith is founded upon divine authority, so there is now no divine authority but the scriptures. And he said, my ground is the Bible. I know it, I follow it in all things, great and small. And perhaps his most famous quote is this, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God, said John Wesley. The original Methodist mission statement or purpose statement was this, to reform the nation and in particular the church to spread scriptural holiness over the land. That was our, those were our marching orders from the, various, from the very earliest times, to reform the nation and in particular the church to spread scriptural holiness over the land. And our doctrine found in the Book of Discipline is very clear on this matter. It's amazing to me how uh, our doctrine has been uh, twisted and turned and turned upside down by some. From our doctrinal standards, the Book of Discipline, paragraph 104, Articles of Religion of the Methodist Church, Article 5, of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation, it says this. And remember, it was written back in the days of, of uh, John Wesley in the 1700s. The Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith or be taught requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scriptures, Scripture, we do understand those canonical books to be of the Old and New Testaments, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church, 
The names of the canonical books are, and then it names all of the books of the Old and New Testaments that we have in our Protestant Bible. And then Article 4 uh, says, of the Old Testament. It's amazing to me today that there are even evangelical Christians who are starting to say things like the Old Testament should be disregarded, that it should be set aside in deference to the New. This was said back in the early uh, years of the Methodist movement, the 1700s. The Old Testament is not contrary to the New. For both in the Old and New Testament, everlasting life is offered to mankind by Christ, who is the only mediator between God and man, being both God and man. Wherefore, they are not to be heard who feign that the old fathers did look only for transitory promises. Although the law given from God by Moses as touching ceremonies and rites doth not bind Christians, nor ought the civil precepts thereof of necessity, be received in any commonwealth. Yet, notwithstanding, no Christian whatsoever is free from the obedience of the commandments, which are called moral. And then this from the Confession of Faith of the Evangelical United Brethren Church, Article 4, the Holy Bible, written more modernly. <laughs> we believe the Holy Bible, Old and New Testaments, reveals the Word of God so far as it is necessary for our salvation. It is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. Whatever is not revealed in or established by the Holy Scriptures is not to be made an article of faith, nor is it to be taught as essential to salvation. So there you have it, the historic doctrines of the United Methodist Church, the combination of the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church. And I dare say that many in the United Methodist tradition today have uh, disregarded our doctrine in many points, at many points, including uh, this regarding Scripture. Here at the Fount, we hold the Bible in highest regard and submit to its authority. On our website, you can read this yourself on thefount.church, we say this about that. We say, we hold the Bible as authoritative for both our faith and our practice. That means we place ourselves under the authority of the Bible, not ourselves over the Bible. If it says something that we do not like, our response is to understand it in context, interpret it for our time, and obey it. That's a strong statement, especially in light of what is happening in our denomination and in the church worldwide. There's even been some disappointing statements from the Pope in recent days. But we, the Fount, we're a Bible-believing church. We've called ourselves a Bible-teaching church for all ages, and this bears out in how we live and how we prioritize our life together. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, which uh, Trevor just read for us, I'll read again, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, it says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The word uh, there, inspired, means breathed in. So God breathes into Scripture, and thus it becomes the Word of God. The inspiration or the inbreathing of Scripture is what sets it apart from other writings. The church has confirmed and collectively 
what writings God has uniquely inspired and which therefore remain authoritative for all believers. It says the scriptures are useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, for discipleship, for becoming followers of Jesus. Without the Bible, learning to be followers of Jesus would be impossible. Now, some people try it, and they fail miserably by ignoring the Bible or setting it aside and saying they're followers of Jesus based on, I don't know what, but based on something. I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I have run across people who claim to follow Jesus, but who have little or no knowledge of what the Bible says or what Jesus said on the pages, in the pages of the Bible. I'm not sure how they figure they can follow Jesus without knowing what he said and did. But they take what little they know and extrapolate it out into something that they call their faith and then call it a day. We know who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did only by virtue of the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. We don't just draw it from thin air and then call ourselves Christians. The Apostle John was writing to his churches and wrote the following from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The writings of the apostles are what eventually became our New Testament. Now, there are many other writings, too, from that time period and shortly thereafter, some written by so-called apostles, but not confirmed as authoritative by the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And these are collected outside of the canon of Scripture they're interesting reading, but they're not authoritative scripture, so they don't carry the same weight. The 66 books of the Bible make up our canon and the official collection of biblical books. The Protestant Bible is uh, canonized and, and accepted by all branches of the Christian church, 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Now, the Roman Catholics acknowledge 10 more books that we call the Apocrypha, but they don't hold them as authoritative as the 66 other books. And the Eastern Orthodox churches also have a few additional books, but again, they are not held in as high regard as the 66 books of the universally canonized, recognized Christian Bible. And as Wesleyans, we consider the writings of John Wesley to be instructive, but not authoritative in the same way that the biblical books are. And we could list other authors today that uh, many people uh, hold in high regard. Max Lucado, Eugene Peterson, even Joel Olstein, uh, John MacArthur, and so forth. But none of these human authors rise to the level of Holy Writ. And so you can disagree with them, and you can even argue with them. You can even disregard them. But Scripture is different. Unfortunately, many Christians today do not make that distinction. 
They argue with Scripture. They refuse to submit to, his author- to its authority. They even disregard portions of it because they think it's out of date, that somehow we've received a new revelation that, uh, that uh, supplants that. Somehow they feel justified in taking or leaving what the Bible teaches. But we don't do that here at the Fount, and neither will the new Methodist denomination that we are helping to form do that. We will hold the Bible in high regard as fully and completely authoritative. And I look forward to the day when we can trust that all clergy and bishops and even our Sunday school curriculum will honor Scripture the way that the church has for centuries. Until then, we forge ahead, staying true to God's Word to the best of our ability. And in the words of Paul to Timothy, verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. That is our goal. That is what we desire. Next week, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of free will, something that distinguishes us from uh, others in the church, the Reformed churches in particular, the Calvinist and Presbyterian churches, but which was very important to Wesley and is to us as uh, his progeny. Read uh, Joshua 24, verse 15, and Romans 10, 9 through 10, in preparation for uh, free will, the doctrine, next week.